Welcome to a God Shift podcast, where we move you from disruption and delay into a greater destiny, expectancy, and possibility. I'm your host, Shana Rattler, and I'm a minister, author, and sought-after speaker. Join myself and other leaders who unapologetically share their story of when their life collided with God's purpose and put them on the path that was designed for them. You will learn how to bounce back from setbacks, disappointments, and uncertainty, and unlock the door to confidence move into your next chapter. Hello and welcome to another episode of A God Shift. I am your host, Shana Rattler. Thank you so much for being here. But before we get started, I would love to ask you for a favor. I want you to take a screenshot of wherever it is that you are listening to this episode. And with that screenshot, I want you to do a couple of things. Post it on your social media and tag us here at A God Shift. And then I just want to hear your biggest aha moment or your biggest takeaway from this episode, because the more times this message gets shared, the more people can recognize that there's hope on the other side of what it is that they're going through and that there's God in the middle of what it is that they're going through. So I appreciate you taking the time to do that. I am going to read part of my guest's bio, and then we're going to get into a conversation that I've been really looking forward um, to having. So my guest today was an agnostic police officer for 26 years, where he was exposed to many traumatic incidents. He was diagnosed with PTSD and then with an incurable, debilitating neuromuscular disease. After an attempted suicide, he made some very poor decisions that led him to a 14-year prison sentence. God placed people in his life to teach him the gospel, and he co-pastored the church in prison. He is now an addiction counselor, chaplain, and a Christian mental health coach specializing in trauma with the intent to start a first responder ministry. He wrote a book called Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma, Healing a Broken Heart, and a Small Group Study Guide. I want to welcome to the show, Norm Welsh. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really happy to have this conversation with you. I come from a long family of law enforcement. My uncle was the very first Black police officer in my small hometown growing up. My dad was a prison guard for 13 years. And so um, I'm really excited to to have this conversation so that we can actually have the opportunity to see what's possible on the other side of someone making a mistake or having a bad moment or whatever it is that all of us have done. Most of us just haven't been caught. (laughs) That's what I like to say. All of us have done something we should be in jail for. Most of us just didn't get caught. But I want to say thank you. Yeah, I want to lay a little bit of foundation for the conversation, Norm. So it's called a God shift. And my definition of a God shift is the moment a disruption in your life collides with God's purpose, but then that moves you into greater dimensions of possibility. I think that anytime we are putting energy into something that is not on the path that God has planned for us, he's so committed to his results in our lives that he's going to use whatever it is that he knows it will take in order to get our attention. Then obviously, once he has our attention, that's when he can invite us into what it is that he really has planned for us. So I've talked about a lot. There was even some stuff in the bio that I didn't read because I didn't want to spill all the beans for the story. But I would love if you would just share a little bit with the audience about a disruption that you've had to overcome in order to get to where you are today. 
Oh, well, it's, it's long. I'm going to try to put it in a little nutshell. But um, so I, I was a cop for 26 years. Um, about 12 years in, I really started to suffer from uh, severe depression. I've been through uh, a lot of traumas, a lot of um, death, a lot of um, child abuse, stuff like that, that I had to, to be part of. Now, I'm not any different than any other, other officer. I'm not trying to say that I'm special or I experience stuff that other. This is what cops go through daily. You know, and I'm talking about just traffic accidents where children are, are hurt or killed. Um, yeah. Train accidents. One of my worst ones was a, a plane accident that um, killed 14 people and injured like 70. You know, so it's just these things. And because of the police culture, they don't allow time to process these things. Right. Mm. So it, you, you see these horrific things. And then a half hour later, you get called to a call where you might just have a noise complaint, you know, stereo or, or something you, they don't, or they didn't back then allow any time to process. I understand that things are changing. Um, but some of the guys I talked to said it's still, because you have to have this warrior mentality, right? And I'm, I'm going to include, um, all first responders, I'm going to include um, emergency room doctors, nurses, and paramedics, because they all see these things, you know, and if you have to compartmentalize it and just move forward, it, it, it's really detrimental to your well-being, right? And in these cultures, you have to have this warrior mentality where you can't admit that you're suffering. You can't admit that you're in pain. If If I would have went to my superiors at that time, and this was going to be in in the mid nineties and say, Hey, uh, I'm really considering suicide. I really need to talk to somebody. They would send me to a city doctor, right? Paid by them. And then the first thing I would say is, you know, I'm really having a tough time, difficult time. And they, they would take my gun, take my badge and put me off duty. And then everybody in the department would know nobody would ever work with me again. And, and that's yeah. unfortunately the reality. And I, I would do nothing but make the problem worse. Of course, you know, and I see this in veterans all the time where, you know, they come forward and admit um, that they're suffering. They take their security clearances away. You know, it's it's just we're not handling mental illness the way we should. Right. Now, there is a, a, a movement now to change that, but it's a slow movement, right? Because I, I can't fault them because you have to be tough, right? You have to be mentally strong. If, if you see something horrific, you can't just stand there and cry about it. You know, you, you, you have to deal with the situation. But the problem becomes when it, it's all these cumulative traumas just add up and pretty soon there's just no way out. So I was suffering with uh, severe depression. And then in 1999, I got diagnosed with this. Um, it's called peripheral neuropathy. It's similar to what diabetics have. I don't have that, but so that that's a deadening of the nerves in the extremities. And then that was complicated by a muscle disease called Charcot-Marie tooth disease, which is the atrophy of the muscles in the extremities. Yeah. So what was happening is I was developing these ulcers or big giant blisters on the bottom of my feet. Um, and they, they weren't healing. So eventually I had to got some infections and stuff. And I, in a 10 year period, I had over 30 surgeries and, um, that brought out a lot of the PTSD symptoms. I think the stress uh, of going through that really brought out these, these other symptoms when I was so at home, I was having panic attacks, you know, um, I was really hypervigilant, all, all these different um, um, symptoms came out. 
And I noticed that the, well, the doctors were give you opioids after a, um, a surgery, right? Yeah. So, and they just fill you up and I'm not blaming the doctors for anything. They have a responsibility to, to, um, to remove the pain. But I, I ended up realizing that these opioids numbed my emotions, right? Wow. So I didn't feel all these things that I didn't want to feel. It's kind of stopped all these intrusive thoughts and these images that um, I was going through. And then I would have nightmares. So I would get Am they would take Ambien to, to help me with that. But the Ambien made everything worse, you know? So it's like problem, solution, problem, solution. You, you, right. you have one thing to fix a problem and then yeah. that creates another problem. And it's just, where does it stop? It, it, exactly. You put yourself in a cycle. Now at that time, I didn't believe in God. I grew up in a Christian home, but we only went to church maybe on Easter and that, that was it. Right. So I didn't know God. And by the things that, that I've seen, I, I couldn't believe that there was a kind and loving God. So I, I was far away from him. And of course, these this taking these this medication is, is sinful. And so I was going really against God, right? And then when you go into a cycle of depression and stuff, you, you start developing what's called inner vows. Like you promise yourself that you're never going to get hurt by somebody. So you you push yourself away, you start isolating. And that's also sinful because that goes against God's will too. So most of the time, I'm not going to say everybody, but most of the time when people have these mental illness issues, they, they treat them in a sinful manner. You know, normally alcohol, uh, drugs, gambling, you know, um, overspending. Um, it could even be overworking at the church. You know, it could be a lot of different things. You, you don't live that balanced lifestyle. So I, I was. I didn't want to admit it to myself, but I was addicted to the opioids. And then in about 2008, I lost my mom. 2009, my daughter, who was 24 at the time, got diagnosed with some liver tumors. Wow. And it, that was like the last straw because that was my little girl, you know? And they told me that the surgery would be a 50-50 survival, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I just went off the deep end and... Uh, the, the, the drug use got worse and, and it's all pills. I never used anything illegal. Not that it matters, but I mean, it, it was just that the pills. And so the, then the suicide attempts came after that. And I, I'm grateful that God prevented me from doing that. And then I ended up making some severe mistakes by stealing some drugs out of our evidence to give it to um, a friend of mine who was doing financial problems. It was methamphetamine. I never touched methamphetamine. But I, I did do that. And I was, um, I was just, I think when looking back now, I think it was a self-destructive act just to, I couldn't commit suicide and have the guts to, but I thought maybe if I sabotaged my um, career, you know, then I would be just out, out of this whole situation. Right. Well, that's what, that's the exact words I was getting ready to use is that you were looking for an out that and, so. and it could have even to a degree been on a subconscious level, but you were in this sabotaging cycle of, you know, I, I wanted to kill myself. That didn't work, but, the, but you still didn't have any of the relief. You were still feeling the pressures. And so you, you were behaving in a way, even if subconsciously, um, that was still looking to remedy all of the pain that you were experiencing. It sounds like. Exactly. And, uh, one thing I didn't mention was I was doing a lot of dangerous things. So at the last, um, 16 years of my career, I was um, in a narcotic task force. So I was, I was doing anti-drug stuff, right? 
So when we, I don't know if, if your um, um, uh, viewers have seen, but when you, when you do a raid on a house, you know, there's like 10 cops and they go up to the house and they're all, you're never supposed to go like one to a room, right? You're always two guys going into a room. Right. Well, I was doing stupid stuff like, like going into a room by myself in, and I did think about this. So this wasn't subconscious. I did think maybe if I go into this room, this guy will shoot me and I will go out a hero, right? Because if you if you die in the line of duty, you, you've seen the funerals, right? The funerals are just wonderful. I didn't think about maybe this guy will shoot me in the spine and I'll be in a wheelchair all my life. You, you of course not. Think. No rational thinking here. Of course not. You don't do that. So, so yes, I, I believe that that wasn't working. This wasn't working. That wasn't working. Uh, I mean, again, I, I'm still, I, I don't know what subconsciously I was thinking, but I believe that that's why. And believe me, I thought of that about that for the last 12 years is wondering what exactly, where, where did I take that fork in the road? Right. Yeah. But I think it's as soon as you start committing sins, you know, um, the, the, the drug use, the lying, the, the isolating, you know, God didn't um, create us to be isolated. He created us for community. And so when, like you said earlier, when you get off of God's path, you know, that that's when he wants to pull you back. Right. And the only way he could pull you back is through adversity and would have stopped all this from happening, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have learned, um, valuable life lessons and I wouldn't have changed and I would have been a really a miserable, miserable person, you know, so. And, and Norm, before we start to talk a little bit about what you learned during this process, because I can only imagine that there were numerous things that you learned. I want to make sure that the audience don't just listen to this as a story. Don't just listen to this as, oh, my gosh, this was fascinating. He was agnostic. Now he's Christian. He was a police officer. Then he ended up in prison. Like, don't just listen to this as if it's a drama. What I want to make sure that you notice here is that all of us experience adversity on one end of the scale or another. And it's if if you're not if you're there's a few things that you're not doing or a few things that you're avoiding doing you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're going to be doing things that are going to be detrimental to your life that are going to be detrimental to the to the lives that are around you and so you know i don't want you to tune out like oh my gosh this is a fascinating story and i've never been through anything like that i'm just this well whatever your just is there are still some um, self-sabotaging behaviors and mindsets that it's so easy to fall into the trap of. And so what you have gone through was a lot more, um, I'm going to say dramatic because I can't think of any any better word. The average person is not going to have the story that you have, but we all have something that I want to make sure that we recognize how easy it is to fall into the trap of these self-sabotaging behaviors as a result of what it is that we're dealing with and not getting through it. But anyway, I digress. What'd you learn? Well, that, that was really well said. Yeah. It's, it's not it, everybody um, depending upon their resilience, everybody responds to the trauma in a different way. So you're exactly right. So I get arrested and this is where God starts his work. Right. Um, I, I bail out. I'm, I'm at home. And of course I'm a basket case. I'm crying. I'm, I know that I'm going to go to prison. Cause I, I mean, I, I did everything that I was accused of. Well, of and, course you knew it. You'd watched what happened to other people for 26 years. Of course. Of course. And all of a sudden You've seen that I'm, movie before, <laughs> but, but here's how God moves. Right. I mean, 
this is why I believe that God chooses the people he wants, right? And um, so there's a phone call one evening. I answer the phone and I'm really hesitant because the press was calling, you know, and, 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 and people were people that had my phone number were cussing me out and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, um, this gentleman goes, hi, I'm pastor Jeff. I'm from this church. And, um, I got your number from a friend of your father's. And I just wanted to let you know that we have this church and we do counseling at this church and you're welcome to come. I I believe that we could help you. Right. But I'm like in my mind, right. I'm not saying anything mean, but in my mind, I'm saying, who is this guy? Get, you know, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And he says, well, well, can you come, will you come to church? I I said, well, I I don't think so. Right. I just said, no, I don't think so. But this is where um, he's still a friend now. And he tells me that the Holy spirit put this on him. Um, He asked me if he could, if he could pray for me. Mm. I said, sure. In my mind, I'm saying, yeah, knock yourself out. I mean, I don't really do whatever you have to do. So we can get off the phone. So I get off the phone. Right. And I don't know anything about prayer. My my mom taught me this German prayer one time about Jesus, but I really didn't know how to pray. So he, he prays the sinner's prayer. And I didn't know what it meant. So at the end, he says, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I didn't want to be rude. So I just said, yeah. And he goes, okay, well, our doors are always open. You know, uh, feel free to come anytime. So he hangs up. I go back on the couch where my wife's at. And I sit there and she's looking at me and, and she senses something, right? And she goes, are you all right? And I said, you know, I sat there for a second and thought, you know, no, I, I actually feel better. Yeah. And she, that all about and, and I told her and it felt it's very difficult to describe it's not like I this come to God moment where oh my god now I believe in God blah, blah, blah. but I felt this this weight lifted off my shoulders and she had grown up Christian actually Catholic and um she never really argued with me about my beliefs just because she knew I was really adamant that I don't think there's anything out there yeah she goes, well, maybe we should go to church. And I said, okay, you know, let's try it. I mean, there's, I'm definitely, I need something, right? I'm not right um, in, in my heart and I'm not right up here. So I, I need to, to do something. We went to church and now remember, I'm still a cop. If, if people don't know about cops, cops are very judgmental, right? We have this attitude of us versus them. So in other words, cops versus anybody else, right? You and you're always have, right, of course. Yeah, we're always right. If you have a DUI, you're a scumbag. You know, if you ever been arrested for loud music, you're a scumbag. You, you know, so so we go by what what crimes you committed, not who you really are or the mistakes you made. And, and this these are some of the things I learned later. But so I go in there, and all these people are in the church are tattooed up, tattoos on their neck, on their face. They they got their hats on sideways, shorts, and I'm dressed up. I mean. I, you got to go to church. You got to dress up, You're right? You're dressed like you thought you should dress at church. Yeah. And so I get there and I'm going, oh my God, what I get myself into? But these people were the nicest people. They hugged us. They didn't, I don't think they knew who we were. Welcome. You know, you're a new face. You know, what can we get for you? Where do you want to sit? I mean, I just, I was blown away. Right. And then pa- Pastor Jeff, he, uh, amazing um, sermon and it, it all spoke to my heart. So I felt more comfortable there that day than I had in, in ages, right? So we started making it a regular thing. I ended up going to um, the men's groups. Um, and so th- my daughter then required to have um, a biopsy of, the, of her liver. So one day, the, uh, the pastor, right in this, on a Sunday sermon, in the middle of the sermon, he stops. He looks over at me and my family, 
And he says, you know, I, I want the whole congregation to pray for her right now. Mm. And of course I start crying. And so he, the whole congregation prayed for my daughter's healing. And so um, a week later, I think it was that we did the biopsy. It was a couple of weeks later that we got the results and we went to the, to the doctor and um, the, the doctor did another CT scan and he came in the room and said, I, I don't know what to say. The, the tests show um, normal liver tumors or, or, or I'm sorry, liver tissue. Yeah. And he put up both scans and the one scan that they did before had the dark spots were the tumors, right? And the new one he did that day was clean. Wow. And I got angry, right? At first I'm like, do you understand what you put me through? You falsely diagnosed this. He goes, no, 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 no. Hold, hold on, hold on. And he had a UCLA medical center, had a secondary opinion and he, and it, it did, it said that those tumors on, and it hit me, right? It was like the Holy spirit just came on me. And I thought, God healed her. And um, I think God knew that he had to do something big, big in my life to really believe. Because even though I was going to church and stuff, I was a little bit on the fence because I started to read the Bible. And unfortunately, I started at the Old Testament. It was all the killing, you know. <laughs> and I thought, what kind of God is this killing thousands? You're like, this sounds too much like what I've been doing at work for all these years. I don't know if I like this God. But then that was the, that was the, there was no way I could argue it. And from then on, I'd just been um, on fire. And then so um, a little bit later, I got, um, I, I, I played guilty. I, I went to, to jail. And um, first year I was put in a suicide cell because of my, you know, prior um, suicide attempts. Mm -hmm. It was horrible. I mean, it was something that I hope no one ever has to go through. But I was able to study the Bible without interruption. I was able to pray. I mean, God knows what he's doing, right? He and knows so what that, to use. He, God knows exactly what it's going to take to get our attention. Yeah, exactly. And so they, they shipped me off to uh, Fort Worth, Texas, um, where, I, where I did about four years out there. And I was really angry. But um, as soon as I got there, I realized God's, God's got this, right? I go to the chapel there. They hire me for a job right away. And um, there were some other cops that made some mistakes there. So I kind of had a little bit of protection from, you know, because you, you have to have at least three or four guys with you. Otherwise, you know, you can be a victim in prison. But then um, a seminary came in there, was teaching classes. So I go, okay, all right, God, I got you. I, I know. Okay. So I ended up getting my master's degree in theology and Christian counseling there. And we had a chaplain there that really... I mean, I shouldn't say this, but he really wasn't a people person. You know, it was just a job for him. Yeah. So when guys came in to say, listen, I, I really would like to talk to you. He knew that me and this other guy were going through these counseling courses. Um, so he said, hey, you know, you want to talk to them? You want to learn about counseling here? I mean, I, it was just, everything was God related, right? I mean, everything, when I look back now, I see his fingerprints on everything. Yeah. And that's what I learned about people, right? Even though the, these some of these guys were horrific, horrible people, but I learned what made them tick. I learned the, the, the trauma that they've been through. And that's what made me want to really specialize in trauma because majority, I'd say 99.9% .9 of these people in prison have been through something really, really bad. Now there are just really bad people. Yeah. There I'm, are some people that are just evil, but there are yes. a lot of people, you know, that we, when we look at their past, we recognize, well, no wonder. Exactly. Look at everything he or she went through and never got any help. Exactly. So I went through um, 
three years of secular counseling. I went through two years while I was out on bail and then one year in prison. And although they helped me with coping skills, after three years, there was no healing, right? Wow. And when I got when I got to prison, I was thinking, you know, there's there's got to be more to it. But then when I was going through these these classes, um, a, a, a guy that I met there was from like um, from LAPD, and um, he had done some some bad stuff with drugs. But he taught me how to look at the Bible through a different lens, right? I was reading the Bible academically, um, just like a book, but you really got to look read it with your heart right? You, you got to go through each chapter and go, okay, what's God trying to tell me and kind of meditate on it, pray on it a little bit. And it takes a little bit longer to get through, but the, the message comes out clear as day. And so I began to learn all the spiritual principles. And with, with this guy, um, Ruben, um, we went through a, a, a process of confession, repentance, renunciation, you know, going back to the root cause of my, my issues, you know, so we went tracked back the root cause and then all the sinful things that I did after these little traumatic events were all sinful, right? I mean, it, 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 we never cope with things really in a proper manner and we're yeah. not taught how to do that as kids, you know, maybe the, we should have a class in school saying, hey, you know, this is how you deal with depression. This is how. But anyway, about four or five months in, all my PTSD symptoms were gone. I mean, we spent a lot of time praying, meditating, you know, um, confessing all the things that I did. It was difficult. It wasn't easy, you know, having to go back and admit the things that I did and, and really um, face things that I should have forgiven that I was holding on to, stopping the judgment of people, all these things. And since that time, I think it was like 14, I have not had a PTSD symptom since. That's phenomenal. And so they shipped me off to a minimum security after that, which is in here in California um, by Santa Barbara. And it, it's a camp. So there's really no locks on the doors and stuff. So it was a little bit more relaxing. It wasn't more like a prison. But then I ended up getting my a doctorate degree in Christian counseling and my um, certificates in um, alcohol and drug counseling, because I knew that that was the, the, the coping mechanism that I used that really put me in a bad spot. Yeah. And um, so I ended up, my dissertation was um, about trauma, how, how what God says about healing trauma, the principles that the Bible lays out for healing trauma. And I put that in, I actually made that a book. and. Um, so I was eight years into my sentence and then COVID came and COVID was really bad for a lot of people. But yeah. for me, it was, it was a godsend. I know that God did this. He let me out of prison three and a half years early. Oh, um, awesome. It's yeah. It's, it's crazy, right? Three and a half years. And so um, I, I got a job as addiction counselor and a chaplain. And um, so now I'm just, um, I'm trying to spread the word that there is healing. Yeah. And so we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want us to share some of the do's and don'ts, if you will, with the audience, if they might find themselves going through some form of disruption. So we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the free guide, When God Says Shift. Inside, you'll discover the four shifts required to reveal God's plan to ditch disruption or delay and get his blessings faster. Head to GodSaysShift.com to access it now. 
All right. So like I was saying before the break, we all are experiencing or have experienced or will experience some form of disruption, some unexpected circumstance, some un, you know, form of adversity. And so God allows these things to happen in our lives for a reason. You know, it tells us in Romans that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. And it's because he, he, the things that he allows to happen in our lives, he really ultimately desires for them to be a tool that moves our lives forward. But too often, and you probably see this even more than I do, is not only just in a ministerial role, but also, you know, as an addiction counselor, so oftentimes the things that God really intends to be a tool in our lives to develop us actually become something that keeps us stuck or destroys us. And so the first question that I want to ask you, Norm, is what have you seen are some of the common barriers that actually keeps a person from taking the adversity, taking the disruption, and allowing it to be a tool that moves them forward instead of something that keeps them stuck? Well, the first thing to understand is that it's not really the traumatic event that keeps us oppressed, right? It, it's our response to that event. Yes. So, yeah. So if... If something happens like, um, say, a, a, a really bad car wreck, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you're, you're freaked out and you don't want to go in a car, and every time somebody brings this up, you, you get this, this anxiety. And if you don't deal with that anxiety properly, you know, in other words, okay, I'm going to have a drink or I'm going to have a couple drinks before I get in the car, you know, then um, you're not doing, you're losing your fellowship with God. So, if if you're in fellowship with God, that means you're sin free, right? And and we're never sin free, but you know what we're we're caught up with re, um, repentance. But every time we commit a sin, we, we lose that fellowship, right? And, and not that God doesn't love us anymore; it just uh, disrupts our relationship until mm-hmm. we confess, repent, and uh, restore that relationship. So what happens to us is we ended up we end up going our own way. Right, we end up deciding our own what's good for us. So, okay, um, you know, I, I, I have a divorce, and and um, my spouse cheated on me. So, I'm going to 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 be vindictive. I'm going to get her back. Um, yeah. I'm going to love another woman again. I'm just going to use them. Uh, all these things are are sinful, right? I mean, we don't think of it at the time, but we get wrapped up in our own anger. Yeah. So, so when you you do a spiritual cleansing, that's when everything comes together and you do um, you restore that fellowship with God. So the the worst thing that we could do is fight God, right? We never believe at the very beginning that this is something that's for our benefit. We always think it's it's detrimental to our lives. But if you so that the that that's the first thing. The second thing is understanding who God is and who He sees us as. Right, because if you don't truly believe, you see God as a uh, um, an, uh, mean father that just wants to be vindictive. We'll we'll, we'll never heal, right? Yeah. But if you understand, like how you explained it, is exactly right. Matter of fact, later on in the year, I got another book coming out: Why God Allows Suffering. Yes, and the Bible tells it, and just like you said, is that there's several reasons, and all of them are really designed to bring you to be closer to Him through being more Christ-like. He's preparing us for heaven. Well, well, and to be able to help other people because you're now, it it was, I liken it to when I was pregnant. 
I did not want a male OBGYN doctor that might have been a great student, but never in his life had he experienced what I experienced. I wanted a woman who had experienced what I had experienced. So even when you look at what God allowed to happen in your life, you're going to be so much more effective in reaching and helping the people that have been through what it is that you've been through because you've been through it versus you read it in a book, you did some class, you know, you, you did some studies, you did some internships, you read a few journals. No, like you can, you'll be able to speak, speak directly to, you know, what it is that, that people are experiencing. And I think that that's one of the things that I'm always on my soapbox about is that it didn't happen to you. It happened for you. But oftentimes it also happened for other people as well. But most of us don't even get to that point that we realize the benefit that it was intended for our own lives or for other people's lives because we don't respond appropriately. And I love that you use the word respond because that's the word that I use. Mm -hmm. Like when I pitch myself to be interviewed, I always say, Everyone has gone through something. Everyone's lives have been disrupted. And the Bible even tells us, you know, consider it not strange when you go through these trials. But I feel that many churches don't do a great job of equipping us, number one, of, of understanding why the disruption happened in our lives. And number two, how to respond appropriately. We're told all the times like you can't control other people, but you can control how you respond. Well, it's the exact same thing with disruption. Oftentimes we may not be able to control the disruption that comes into our lives, especially if it's something that, that God wants to be there. But how are you going to respond? Because I said at the top of the hour, that God uses disruption to get our attention. Once he has our attention, he He can invite us into what it is that he has planned. But it's we can't respond to the invitation until we first respond to the, what he used to get our attention. And so I love that you talked about like, how are you going to respond when something happens? I love that. Yeah, because adversity can either um, just totally devastate you or it can be the catalyst for growth. And by understanding who God is, just like you just said, and, and how he operates and, and how he works <clears throat> and believing in Romans 8, 28, like you just said that, okay, even though I'm going through a very difficult time in my life, um, if I love God, everything will work for the good. In other words, just like you said, uh, it's in Corinthians where it says God brings you through so you can help others. Um, you know, he's bringing, he, he cares more about our, our future in heaven than he does our comfort in this world. Yes. You know? So these are the things that we have to understand. But when I was going through it, I was like, why me? Oh my God, why me? Why are you doing, you know, even though I didn't believe God, why are you doing this to me? You know, it, it's because of uh, just a lack of understanding. And that's what yeah. I tried to explain in the book is that first you got to have, so the first part of it is a Bible study, right? You have to understand who God is his attributes. You got to understand what he thinks of you. And you have to believe those, those biblical references to, I am beautiful and wonderfully made, you know, uh, I am a God's child. Because when you believe in that, then you could believe the rest of the pre uh, the promises in the Bible. Yeah. So as we begin to wrap this conversation up, um, Norm, where can our listeners follow you on social media? What are your social media handles? Um, on Facebook, it's Christ-Centered Healing. On Instagram, it's Christ underscore centered underscore heal. And on my webpage is um, Christ hyphen 
CenteredHealing.com. Christ-CenteredHealing.com. Perfect. And the links to that will be in the show notes. But before we go, tell us in about 30 seconds, what's the title of the book and what is the primary thing that our that will change our lives, that our lives will be different because we've read it? There we go. The name of the book is Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma. And the secondary is Healing a Broken Heart. Because that's what trauma is. It it yeah. breaks our heart, right? And, and that's, but God is the one who created our heart. He is the only one that can heal it. And what it will teach you is these biblical principles. It'll teach you why we should believe God is, is actually real by, by going through this Bible study and, and what how he sees you and all these things so that you could believe in God. And then we, we talk about trauma. What is trauma? How it affects the um, you know physiology and stuff like that. And then it goes to talking about our emotions, what our emotions are for and how we mis- misuse them. And at the very end, there's a series of a bunch of prayers that um, will just change your life. And is the best place for them to get the book on your website? Well, you can go through my website. I don't, it's through a publisher. So yeah. the publisher's um, web address is christcenteredhealingbook.com. Okay. Christcenteredhealingbook.com or it's on Amazon. Perfect. 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 All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you sharing these nuggets. Um, Everyone, I pray that this episode has blessed you and you will consider going back and listening to previous and future episodes as well. Everyone have a great day. Bye-bye. I want to thank you for listening to the God Shift Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. And remember to put God first and everything will fall into place.